This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Marcus Suzak, welcome to Better Reading. Thanks, Cheryl. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Oh, so am I. Yeah, yeah. So this is a first for you with us, and I don't know why. I mean, we're we're 400 podcasts on, so ah. and one point something million downloads. So um, it's about time you joined us. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm pretty annoyed <laughs> I haven't been invited before. What's going on? Yeah, it's my fault, right? <laughs> Now, listen, I have a very, and I was thinking about this in the park this morning while I was walking the dog, a very strong memory of you. I was working at Grace Brothers Miranda in the book department. Yeah. And you came in and you started talking to me about you wanting to be a writer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do you remember going to Hassel Booksellers? No. (laughs) And, and, and it's funny because I probably hadn't even, I, I, I didn't even tell my family that I wanted to be a writer. It yeah. Must have been, and, I, you know, I've got a good story about that, what was a Grace Brothers. Yeah. Uh, you know, long ago is when I was writing The Book Thief, you know, I would, I would always go to Sutherland Library, and yeah. which is a great library. You know, uh, people would be surprised that there's such a great library in the outer suburbs, you know, yes. a great library. And I got so much great information there. But what I found in Grace Brothers Miranda was a copy of Mein Kampf. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. And that's a Pimlico edition. Yeah, and it, it's I can still see it. It's big, yeah. red, yeah. And, um, and I used the pages of that Mein Kampf. Uh, I photocopied them. And then I painted over the photocopies to let the words bleed through. And then that was how, like, the story within the story of The Book Thief, when Max, um, the Jewish man hiding in the basement, writes a story for Liesl, is on the pages of that, you know, book bought from Grace Brothers. Miranda. From Miranda. And, um, but because the thing is, and it was just on the shelf, it wasn't wrapped in plastic, you know, sort of like American Psycho once used to be. And I was quite amazed that I found that book. You find the book you need or, you know, the surprising find in the most unlikely of places. And mm. uh, I don't know if anyone else ever bought a copy of Mind Comfort Grace Brothers Miranda, but I did. And so I'm probably now on some government watch list. Yeah, you probably are. <laughs> Let me explain to people what Grace Brothers Miranda was. Um, Grace Brothers was a department store, which is now Meyer. And, you know, it's on the outskirts of Sydney, if you like. I was helping the book departments in all of the Grace Brothers stores, so it wasn't just... Miranda, but I'd go and work on the shop floor. And you would have noticed this, and I'm sure you told me this at the time, that the people working there were really invested in reading. They were great booksellers. Yeah. It, it yeah. was not like, you know, you you go into some bookshops or, you know, there are some places that I'll 
avoid every now and again just because they could be selling cans of soup. Yeah. Uh, you know, not books. Yeah. And uh, I'd love that. And I do recall that. And I recall that even that there was a Grace Brothers, if you walk through in the city in Sydney, you walk through Town Hall Station all the way down the bottom, you ended up with Grace Brothers. That's where my office was. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there you go. And, yeah. uh, and there was a really good book section there too. And I remember... Yes. I mean, I remember buying the, a short story collection, a Hemingway one, um, which were um, The Snows of Kilimanjaro, which was an appropriated sort of one, but I've still got that book. But I remember it had a really good music section too and I would I would go there when I, when I was at university, I would go down there because I knew I had 20 minutes for the train because, you know, that's how long. Yeah. I went, okay, go down there. You can read a little bit about, you know, some yeah, you know, like Led Zeppelin or something, and then go and get the train. So yeah. I did buy a few books from there. I didn't just use it as a library, I promise. Oh, good, good. It was really, it was a fun time when I worked there. I had just come off the back of coming from the UK and working <laughs> for Dylan's over there and then here. Oh, wow. Now, how old would you have been when you were kind of visiting bookshops and telling people that you're going to be a writer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I, well, I would have been. I'm, I'm trying to think when that was and it maybe the only thing I can think of is that maybe my first book was coming out at that stage. Yeah. So yeah. I could get away with it because one of the golden rules was pretty much never tell anyone you're writing a book because yeah. then you see them five years later and they go, oh, I had that book, you, you know, and you go, oh, I didn't finish it. Yeah. <laughs> or, or I got one chapter in and I went, oh, well, this is not good. Or um, it got published and no one bought it. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I was probably in my, I'm thinking the underdog was coming out and that was, that came out when I was 24. Uh, yeah. So I've been 23, 24 around Yeah, that yeah. Time. So I had you coming into Miranda and I had Matthew Riley coming into Chatswood store. Yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah. he would come, I think he self-published initially and he would of come course, and yeah. talk to me. Quite famously. And yeah. one of my favourite stories about him is that, uh, when he self-published his first book, which I think was Contest, which was then made into, you know, then was picked up by Pam McMillan after, like he, he published Ice Station with them first, I think. And then anyway, a few books later, Contest came out. But I remember what he would do after he self-published it was he would sit on buses and, uh, and you know how on the bus, or it used to be the case, it's not like that anymore, but there were two seats near the front of the bus that faced each other. Yes. And so there was one seat that faced the whole rest of the bus, really. <laughs> and so he would make sure he sat on that seat and read his own <laughs> book and just chuckle every now and again and like, oh, that's a great bit, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, and you've got to, you know, we're totally different people, totally different yeah. Righty. But, and, and, you know, and he's such a nice guy. But then I look at him and I look at that and I go, you know, that is genius. You know, that is the ultimate in both genius and optimism, pure optimism. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. And people are going to go, oh, that must be a great book. Because he's up there reading that. it. Hey, do you know, I, got, I did get on a train um, the other day uh, and <laughs> I think I had COVID and I was, no, I was wearing a mask, so I wasn't spreading it as badly as I would have. However, and I've always had this claim to fame and I'm just going to show it off in this moment because you brought mm. up public transport. I am seeing people more reading hard copy, right, travelling. I've just come back from the US and Mexico and I saw a lot of hard copies, people reading hard copy. But anyway, I was in Sydney, I was on a train, 
And I can tell what people are reading from the colour of the copy. You can just sit, you can be sitting there holding a book, and I can just see the top strip of a book. Yeah, right? Right. No and, and know what it is. But you know where that came from? That came from working at Grace Brothers Sydney City, because there would be people that would come in and say, "Oh yeah, I'd like this book," and I'm sure booksellers get this all the time now. Mm. And it's green, and it's got a swan on the front cover, yeah, wow. or it's blue, or it's and we always knew it. Wild swans, mm. you know, you could pick it. And mm. the other day, I thought, "No, you haven't lost it yet, Cheryl. You can still pick what people are reading. It's yeah. a good trait to have, I think." Yeah. Uh, well. <laughs> It's and I'm glad to hear that that there are still people reading books out in the mm. world. And mm. you know, I mean, it's one of my favourite things is to see someone walking along the footpath. I still I have this very vivid memory of seeing a girl reading a book walking along the footpath. But I mean, this is before I was even published, you know. And I thought, oh, that's that's great. And, yeah. and so, <laughs> that's you know, great. I mean, yeah, and yeah. These days, it's sort of I got into a cab once and I had a book with me. I was to be fair, I, I thought I was going to get the train, but I ran out of time and I just saw this cab and went, oh, I'd better do that. And so I grabbed, and, and the cab driver said to me, you're the first guy I've seen holding a book. You're the first oh, person wow. um, who's got a book that, you know, he said in at least five years. And I thought I, mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty depressing, but I thought probably not many people read a book in a taxi yeah. or a drive, but on the train or on the bus. I, I do still see it. and Yeah, uh, I'm seeing it more, I think. Yeah, I, well, and I think people are feeling at times quite devastated by just how busy everything is. And yeah. How, everywhere yeah. you go, there's another human. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everywhere you, know, you live in, especially you live somewhere like Sydney, you drive somewhere and you go, oh, my God. You know, try to drive somewhere on a Saturday and you just go, geez, there are, there are a lot of us. And, I mean, I know it's nothing compared to a place like Hong Kong or... Well, Mexico, where oh, I was on yeah, the metro, yeah. Yeah, I can With imagine. two million people catching the same train. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and so I think but we're all consumed by a kind of, you know, constant effort to get somewhere on time. And then you think of oh, a book is so idyllic because you just go, this is just going to force me to slow down and actually just realise that not every little thing I have to do is so important. You know, I can just disappear into this. And, uh, you know, and that's always what one of the things I've loved about uh, books in general, and that's what made me want to become a writer. Yeah. Do you know, I, I'm going to introduce you in a minute because we've almost finished the podcast and <laughs> I haven't said who you are. But I think um, our listeners do know you very well. But, I, you know, what I want to say about being out and about and me observing people, and I'm a real observer, I, I have to stop myself um, from taking photos of people reading because they find mm. that offensive, which is fair enough. But the stories, and you could probably elaborate on this, you see so many stories, short stories, mini stories of people that are just sitting opposite you on a train. Like for me, watching people, I mean, I'm definitely in a position where I could catch a taxi or drive anywhere. Yeah, sure, I can afford that. But I always take the public transport approach because I like to see people. I always, I don't know, you probably do this too. I make up a story of where they're going, you know, what they're doing. And I can tell just by their demeanour about the handbag that they've chosen or the jacket that they've worn. It's all part of a story, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes in my family, we we would just give people names. Yeah, you know, wow. You're standing at the um, at the airport or something, waiting for your brother or whatever to come 
back from his trip and there are all these other people are coming along and you're like, okay, well, who's that? Rudolf Schmidt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or whatever. Um, and that name, incidentally, I just stole from the catcher in the rye where Holden is talking to a, um, a mum of one of his classmates and he, he says his name's Rudolf Schmidt, you know. But, uh, so but it's so funny that, and this is one of the other things I love is that, you know, when you write something or in the in the your case where you're you're sitting in the real world, but you're blending fiction with reality, yeah, and uh, and that's even what you do when you write a book. You just can't help inviting some of yourself or just some, you know, you, you start doing the work, and then next thing you've written something that somebody has said to you, and that that becomes one of the more authentic things on the page. Yeah. People talk about, you know, um, interactions and loneliness and it seems to be more and more that, you know, people are feeling more isolated. And I've I've lived by myself for a very long time, but I've never felt lonely really, well, maybe during COVID, but, you know, outside of that. And I think it is the power of, of story, the power of connection. The other day it was pouring with rain and I live right near a park and Barry Otto, who I think is suffering uh, dementia now, um, he's a, the, the great Australian actor who's quite elderly. But anyway, every single day with his beautiful partner, they do a walk to the park. Yeah. Um, and it's just gorgeous to watch. You know, I just love looking at them every time. And I always just say hello away from a distance yeah. or whatever. Anyway, the other day I noticed that they got caught. There was a huge downpour and they were standing undercover at a bus stop yeah. and it was distressing him. You know, it wasn't great. She didn't kind of, you know, so expected they didn't know what to do. So I ran upstairs, I got an umbrella and yeah. I came across the street and I gave it to her. And the moment for her was, it, you know, such a relief. Yeah. And she was so grateful and so thankful. How can I return it to you, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, no, this is the moment you take it. I said, for me, you've just given me another story. Thanks very mm. much. And I crossed the street and went yeah, out. Yeah. Oh, wow. But that's, that's what interaction is. Yeah, that's, that's just like a, you know, that could be a painting on your wall, you know, that, you know, that the moment of you giving the umbrella and, mm. uh, or, you know, and there's, there's a small part of me that, of course, like because a writer always then goes, oh, I wonder what if this happened, you know, and I would have loved you to say, well, just just mail it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you probably live two doors down from each other and, uh, you know, <laughs> Putting an umbrella in the post, and of course, I'm not thinking of one of those little ones that you fold up. I'm thinking yeah. of a long one. Well, I did give her a big long one. I didn't give her a little one. But anyway, I do think that that's, you know, a story is everywhere we go. I don't know how we got onto that. All right, I'm going to introduce you now. Marcus Suzak is the international best-selling author of six novels, including The Book Thief and more recently Bridge of Clay. His work is translated into more than 40 languages and has spent more than a decade on the New York Times bestseller list, establishing Suzak as one of the most successful authors to come out of Australia. In 2013, The Book Thief was made into a major motion picture and in 2018 was voted one of America's all-time favourite books achieving 14th position on the PBS Great American Read. It's also, and this is my claim to fame and our claim to fame, has consistently been voted into all eight 
better reading top 100 list and even taking the number one spot in 2018. You have appeared on the better reading top 100 every year since we launched. Oh, that's amazing. It is amazing. And to think I thought no one was ever going to read that book. I know. I thought it was just going to sink without a trace. And, you know, if anyone wants to know how to write something that's got the legs, maybe that's how you do it. Imagine Mm. that no one's going to read it. And, uh, you know, we're all different. I mean, some people... Having a good at having an eye on the market and all that sort of stuff, but I certainly don't. I just know what I love, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And uh, with that book, somehow I just feel like somehow when I was writing that book, just a bit of magic dust got sprinkled over it, you know, which has nothing to do with me. But every time something good needed to happen for that book, it's happened, you know, across a whole lot of, yeah, you know, even things like a film coming out. It didn't come out one year after the book came out when it was all, it was still just going, you know, strongly on its own. You know, it came out seven years later. So you have a book that's just kind of got published, you think nothing's going to happen, then it gets this bit of luck in America where I was interviewed on a morning TV show and that just, you know, you look at a golden moment, that was a golden three or four minutes of my life, you know, that mm. changed my life. And then it comes out around the world and all that sort of stuff. But then, yeah, it's just one of those books that's sort of this gift that just keeps giving. And, uh, you know, I just, every time there was a risk when I was writing it, I just took it. I just, it was going to be a 100-page novella, you know, and turned into a 580-page book that meant the world to me. Yeah, I get so many questions about writing, not that I'm a writer. I can barely compose an email, Marcus, but um, <laughs> people often ask me. Yeah, and, I, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, people often ask me. And I say to them, the only thing that I can tell you from my experience and from speaking to so many authors and from working in the industry since, mm. you know, I was 19, I think, is you have to write a good story. I think sometimes people forget about that. It's the power of the story. You could have had that interview. Anyone could have done that interview. But if that book didn't carry itself, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, there was just, yeah, I I guess probably what I'm talking about is that there are a lot of great books out there with great stories and great characters that don't get the luck, you know. Yeah, yeah, that too. You put yourself in the position. But, you know, you're absolutely right And, and it's often... What I like, I've, I have a few sort of not rules to write by, but um, you know, but one of the one of the things is is just like one of my favourite books is What's Eating Gilbert Grape, oh, and uh, which is a which to me is one of the rule of that book is that great characters make great books, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and, and I didn't realise when I was writing the book thief that the the sort of five central characters that they were so. Um, that revolve around, there's Liesl in the middle and then you've got Hans and Rosa, her foster parents, and Rudy and Max. And these five characters were sort of quite special playing off each other all the time. And, and they, but, but they had this cog in the middle that they all worked off. And I, I, I didn't know. I, I, just didn't, I, I just didn't know actually what I was, not what I was doing, but I, I didn't know that what I was doing somehow had something special about it. I was just trying to get through and finish as I'm always doing. But you're always just trying to find moments. And that moment that you talked about um, with giving the umbrella in the pouring rain, you know, to, yeah, okay, it's a famous actor, but they're just humans under a bus shelter trying to get home and they're in a bit of strife. 
See, what I'm trying to do every time I write a book, so you gave some background when you were telling that story and what we were trying to get to all the time was that moment. And so all the time I'm seeing it a little bit like a, like 20 Ks I have to run, not that I'll ever run that far, but there are these checkpoints you've got to run through and they're those moments of connection and they're the beautiful moments in a, in a book. And, uh, you know, in, in a book like The Book Thief, it's, it's hands maybe giving the piece of bread to an old man who can't keep up as he's been taken to duck out of the concentration camp and then getting whipped for it and thus jeopardising Max being in his basement. Like all of these, these ideas and moments come to you as you're working because you get your best ideas when you're working. You don't get mm. them walking along the beach trying to mm. think of ideas. Um, mm. And so like we do, I think, in our own lives, and that's where I think writing books mirrors life in general is we're just trying to have moments of connection all mm. the time. And that's what I'm looking for. And they're, they're my sparks when I'm sitting down to write a book is I think of a moment and then I spend the book working my way up to that moment to make it work, if that makes mm. sense. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is... Another map. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to tell you something, and I've, I've told this story a million times on this podcast. And when I first told it, I was applying it to the whole story. But now that I've gotten more experience from talking to writers, I feel as though that you have to apply this with every kind of um, theme or plot or character that you're at. I went to see John le Carre. He's since died, but this is going back a few years and I've loved almost everything he's written. Anyway, I went to some a few years ago. It was, I think it was a Dimmick's Literary Lunch or something. And somebody in the audience said to him, and I don't know if this was his original idea or he'd picked it up from somebody else. He said, somebody said to him, what makes a good story? That was the question out of the audience. And he said, well, there are two stories, right? There's the cat sat on the mat or there's the cat sat on the dog's mat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that spoke to me. It was kind of like, oh my God, that was such a light bulb moment, even in the way I read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. clever, isn't it? It's pretty extraordinary. 
And that encompasses, it's a really um, direct way of saying, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen to this character right now? To get some, because, you know, if nothing bad happens or if nothing comes to violate the life of the main character, well, there's no story. There's no tension. Uh, Yeah. And uh, if there's nothing to overcome. So, yeah, that's a brilliant, you know, metaphor for writing as a whole. And it's it's now I, I can apply it just to even writing an email. Like it really is. What am I trying to say, you know? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, or, or even just, you know, telling a, a story in, in your, your normal life because no one, I mean, when was the last time you told someone about pretty much getting every green light, you know, yeah. or having no hassles on the way to somewhere? <laughs> you know, right. it's so much better at so, oh, and there was this bloody idiot on the road. I think that's probably the majority of people's yeah. you know, best guilty pleasure is complaining about other drivers. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Makes people wild. Hey, did you, speaking of driving, have you watched that, um, I think it's a Netflix series, but it's called Beef? No. You've got to watch it. It oh, is a okay. brilliant series and mm. it starts off with road rage. Okay. Oh, that's, how, that's how I got there. I want to go back to Grace Brothers Miranda and you'd written your first book. Talk to me about the first book and your path to publication. So I I decided I was going to be a, wanted to be a writer. Well, I was I decided I was going to be a writer when I was 16. And uh, and also, and I almost sounded like a super villain, you know, saying that nothing was going to stop me. And um and so I tried to write my first book and I wrote it. I can still see the, the sort of crimson-coloured exercise book of 248 pages that I started to write it in. And, you know, hand-wrote it. Yeah, hand-wrote, handwritten. And I started writing and, I, you know, my joke often is that all eight pages of that book could be entered into a competition for the worst book ever written. And I think it would go quite deep into the competition. And... Um, but I probably wrote truthfully about 30, 32 pages in that. And I mean, it was just awful, mm. absolutely awful. But but it shows you, um, you know, and I've had neighbours since say to me, oh, you know, I thought, Mark, he's a pretty normal guy. I, I, I could write a book, I reckon, <laughs> <laughs> if he can. And they go, yeah, and then I wrote two sentences and I went, oh, well, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Oh, where do I go from here? And, uh, and that was the point I hit, at, you know, after 30-odd pages. And I, I was just imitating my heroes. And so, and I think growing up at a certain time in the New South Wales education, public education system, it feels like almost everybody in the state for about 20 or 30 years read The Outsiders by S.C. E. Hinton. And, you know, and everyone categorically loved it. And so she wrote that when she was 16. And so then you sit down, you go, 16, I'm already behind. (laughs) (laughs) And so you you start writing it and then you start writing your own one. You go, this is not the outside. This is not anywhere near it. What what the hell am I doing here? But then you start to realise, okay, right, I've I've got, what do I do here? And I I remember finishing my HSC and thinking, I I had a part-time job, but I had three months to really write. I got nothing done because I didn't know what I I was still, yeah, really finding my feet. And, uh, but at the end of that first university year, I finished my first book and I sent it to five publishers and they all rejected it and that was fine. But I got one encouraging letter back which I later found out when I approached that publisher again uh, for, for something I finished, 
I said, oh, does this person still, I still remember her name, I won't say it, but um, does this person still work at, you know, this, at, at your publishing house? And they said, she never worked here. She was here on work experience. <laughs> it was sort of like, oh, what? oh I get it. Yeah. I just got the work experience person to, to write the rejection letters, and, yeah. uh, which was a bit of a classic. But they said, no, send us your book. This is the person. And that was the third book that I'd written. Um, it, was a, it was 21 short stories and 21 poems. Oh, thanks. That, that got rejected, and but that was after I had a really fallow period between I wrote two books. I wrote the one I finished at the end of my first year of uni. While I was waiting for those five rejections to come in, I wrote another book in mm. two and a half weeks. I just went. I was like so, you know, you're just in that moment where you're doing something totally new. It was like being in love, you know. Mm. And, and All I just, consuming. Yeah, and I, I wrote that and I went, oh, and then, as soon as I got the five rejections, I thought that book is too much like the first one and I never sent that book off. And then the next three years I couldn't get anything done and I, I thought, oh, God, you're lazy, God, you're pathetic, why, can't, why have you got no motivation? And I just realised that I, there was no motivation because there was no success in anything I was writing and yeah, it's easy to get down but that fallow period was really important because I realised what I was doing at that time was I was going... What, that's not good enough, that's not good enough. And I was starting to meld all different authors that I loved and I was coming up with my own style. I was yeah. coming up with me as a mm. writer. And then I was struggling trying to write all these books that were, you know, like the next great Australian novel. And then I, had, I went to the dentist in Sutherland, hadn't been there for four years, and then I ended up getting, you know, quite a few feelings and I just and I paid cash. I didn't have a credit card. I didn't have a checkbook. Paid cash and then I thought, Jesus, there must be a lot of money going through these dental surgeries. And I had, <laughs> like, I had an idea for two brothers robbing their local dentist. And I thought, just write that and write something just purely for fun, not for this end goal of becoming even a writer. And I wrote this short story about two brothers trying to rob their local dentist with a baseball bat and a cricket bat as their, <laughs> as their weapons of choice. And, of course, you know, they get there and they're confronted by a beautiful dental nurse, you know, <laughs> assistant, and they end up getting checkups instead. And that was <laughs> the first chapter of The Underdog. And I went, that's not a short story. That's the beginning of a short novel. And what was really interesting about that book to me now is now I just I, I can openly admit to people that it was too short to be a novel and I went, what if I just put these two-page long dream sequences between the 14 chapters? That would give me 28 extra pages. And then it was suddenly novel length. You know, it just shows you you do what you can to get the job done. And yeah. But the dreams added this extra layer to the book and uh, and so I sent that book off to one publisher and it was that same publisher with the work experience person who sent me the reject, my first rejection letter and that was Omnibus Books in Adelaide and um, they usually got back to you really quickly with a rejection. Yeah. Month went by and then another month went I actually hid it under my mattress. I was still living at home but I went overseas pretty much for the first time and then I think I got my brother to send it off. And so while I was away, I said, any word yet on this thing, you know, for, has there been anything? And then about 
three months in to this trip, I was staying with my dad's best friend uh, in Vienna because um, my dad's from Austria. And uh, the phone rang at 20 past two in the morning and I woke up to that phone ringing and I knew, I, went, I thought to myself, that's the book. That's the okay. book. And Otto, my dad's, it's funny how there's a circular thing here with the story you told. Otto, my dad, Otto Kugler, my dad's best friend came in or his wife, Ricky, came in and said, your dad, there's something about a book you've written. And uh, then my dad told me it was going to get published. And the classic thing about this story is that, well, there were a couple of classic things. One, the first was I I couldn't go back to sleep and I called both my sisters and one of my sisters cried. Mm -hmm. One of my sisters said, oh, yeah, I hit the ceiling when I found out. And then I rang my brother <laughs> and you can see what's coming. I talked to my brother. My brother can be quite monosyllabic, you know, and at that, and at that point he either rings, yeah, like sometimes he'll ring, ring me and then not say anything. And I say, you rang me. <laughs> you have to make the conversation. But after about 10 minutes of that conversation, I said to my brother, so um, did you hear about my book? And my brother, you know, and we have a great friendship and relationship and all of that. But this is like this is like my my brother's version of wrapping his arms around me and telling me how proud of me he is. He said, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was his reaction. Man of few words. Pretty good. You know, it was yeah, so it was one of those quite it was a a priceless moment. Uh, And then after that, and I only just thought of this now is I was going from Vienna, I, was, I, I booked a trip to Egypt and oh, wow. things were a bit sort of touchy around there because there'd been a yeah. mass shooting maybe a year or two before there and suddenly I wasn't so keen on going to Egypt and, and Ricky, you know, my dad's best friend's wife, she was laughing at me saying, yeah, now you're too scared to go to Egypt, aren't you? Because <laughs> <laughs> now you're an author. <laughs> yeah, that's you right. know, um, and, of course, I went, nothing bad happened and uh, there was yeah, masses of security at all the sort of you know, major sites and all that sort of thing and uh, I came, came home and the book got published the, the next year and that was my beginning to a, a career as being a writer. It's quite mm-hmm. amazing, you know, that I just sent a manuscript to a publisher. I didn't have an agent. I had pretty much nothing to go on. Um, you know, I, I feel really lucky, but I, I feel like I came in at the very end of the golden age of publishing, which had stretched for quite a few centuries. Yeah. Uh, because when you think about it, there were still really not many mobile phones even no. in 1998. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they were, but, you know, it wasn't how – there was still – there was still, there was no social media. I mean, can we believe that? Uh, so um, there was still just this element of – books being front and centre, which I, I don't think is totally diminished. But No, uh, I, I think it's it's fluctuated and I think we've been fearful at times. But mm. I've got to say, particularly with the better reading community, it comes back to story and they'll read story any way they can. They can. They'll yeah. read e-book, they'll read audio, they'll read hard copy, they're reading. Yeah. I've often said, you know, people like so many times over the last two decades that I've been a writer, people say, oh, so what do you think about books, are books dying and all that? And I just say, if books were going to die, they would already be dead. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it just, it's one of the, it is one of 
the most surefire, best pieces of technology that's ever been invented. Absolutely. And also look at the YA genre, Marcus. You and I know this. If a book takes off in that genre, it sells millions of copies. Mm. They're reading. Young people are reading. Yeah, and everyone's still... I mean, I often talk about books and movies and I say, you know, I love movies and I say... Same. Love movies because I get to see the characters. But when I read a book, I get to become the characters. And I think that's why people love reading is it's such a personal thing and you're in there alone. You know, you're an audience one in in amongst this Mm -hmm. landscape or cityscape or whatever it is uh, and and you sort of feel like you are those people. And, uh, And I think that's why books will always survive. Yeah, and also it's speaking to you in such a unique way. There's no one else. This is your version, your story, and they look like the way they look in your mind. It's just so personal, I think, and that's what's It's amazing how sometimes even there can be a character displayed on the cover and you're reading the book and you reject that version of it. Yeah, yeah. You have your own. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, we're out of time. I've got to let you go. You know, I'm so excited that we've had this opportunity to talk because I want to say thank you for the stories. No, thank you, Cheryl, and thanks for having me. And uh, maybe after another 300 or so, you'll have me back. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. I will indeed. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere, everywhere. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.